Matthew chapter 20. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Actually, there are two questions that Jesus asks in that, in that chapter. I must have got the Bible readings wrong that I've sent because I wanted that sort of story read before, but we come, we come back to that. What do you want and what do you want me to do for you? They're the questions that Jesus asks in this passage. Back in, uh, in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings chapter 3, God asks Solomon what he wants. It's the other way around. God asks Solomon what, what he wants. And in fact, uh, it's sort of put more positively than that. It's ask for whatever you want me to give you. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And then we find Solomon sort of talking to God. And he's working out his request God has just said, ask whatever you want me to give you. And so he's working out his request. And in that, if you read that chapter, you'll see that he's sort of, he's, he's, he's working out, he's reminding himself of who God is. He's reminding himself that God is a good God. He's reminding himself that actually it would be terrific to be connected to the heart of God and to the mind of God. And the best thing he can ask for is this. And so it says, give your servant a discerning heart. To govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Ask whatever you want. Thinking through God is, I need a discerning heart. I need a discerning heart so I can govern myself and other people which I know what is right and wrong. What do you want? Look at verse 20 of Matthew 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other on your left in the kingdom. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, this is a pushy mother, isn't it? I mean, seriously pushy mother. She, she's coming, I mean, on behalf of her own children. Uh, and she's coming to make this request of Jesus. And what is it they want and what is it she wants for them? She clearly wants sort of fame and position and riches and power. What do they really want and what does she want for them? They actually want their outward circumstances changed. They want to be no longer humble fishermen. They want to be world power people. Yeah? And they want it to happen without any pain or without any work or really without any understanding of their responsibilities. You know, the responsibilities that go with world power. Did you have the X factor over here and, you know, Australia's got talent, that sort of stuff? You see those kids on those programs, and that's what they want. The reason you go on that program is to get fame without all of the hard work of getting fame. It's an instant thing, isn't it? You just want the judges then and there to say, okay, yeah, you can have fame, you can be popular, you get to number one, and you don't have to really work hard in a band and learn to sing and do the hard graft. That's what they want. Jesus answers in verse 22, you don't know what you're asking. 
Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? He then goes to show them that glory, that that sort of glorious power only comes through the cross. By the way, that is the Christian symbol. You know Nike. Nike is a Christian symbol, the tick. That is Christianity, explained quite well. Because in order to go up, you have to go down when you do a tick. You go down to the cross before the glory. That's Christian Christianity. You die to self before you rise again to a new life. Jesus died on a cross and rose again and ascended into heaven. And so they want their circumstances changed to be powerful world leaders, but they don't want themselves to be changed. Do you see that? That's what he's saying to them. You want the glory without the cross. It doesn't work like that. What gives you the understanding in yourself that you could handle responsibilities of world power? So the sons of Zebedee, what do you want? Well, we want to stay exactly the same in our person, but we want our position to change to one of power, and he doesn't give it to them. Look at verse 32 now then. What do you want me to do for you? Here's the question to two blind men. What do you want me to do for you? It's a question, I think, to make us think. What do you want me to do for you? He asks. It's a powerfully revealing question because of who asks it. See, if a waiter asks you, what do you want? You say, I'll have a steak, please. If a policeman says, what do you want? You'll say, I want the thief arrested. But if Jesus is asking you what you want, and Jesus, you see, is in the business of changing you, not your circumstances so much. He's in the business of changing you. He's a you-changer person. So it suddenly becomes a very powerful question. What do you want Jesus to change in you? What do you want? These blind men we're told to look at. If you see verse 29 uh, to 30, it should read and look. So this is how it should go. Verse 29. As Jesus, uh, Matthew has a lot of and looks. And unfortunately, a lot of translations miss them out. And I don't know why, because it's a preacher's joy, these sort of things, because it's meant to be, and look. So this is how 29 should go. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and look, two blind men were sitting on the roadside. It, it, you know, it's a fun thing, really. Look, 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 look at the blind men. Look and learn how to see from blind men. That's what he's saying. Don't be blind. Look at the blind men. (laughs) Perceive. Get hold of it. Look. See. 
Men who normally go unnoticed, I want you to look at. And that brings me to the first thing I want you to see, the scene. Let's just get into the scene. Here's verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them, told them, be quiet. But they shouted all aloud, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Now, if you read Mark's account of this, the Gospel of Mark, and Luke's account, you'll see that there are slight differences. Mark and Luke uh, record this encounter with Jesus, and Mark and Matthew say, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, yes, what am I saying? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, let's put it that way, right? They all, they all uh, record the encounter of this. Mark and Matthew say that Jesus is leaving Jericho, and this becomes a problem to people. Because Luke says, Jesus is approaching Jericho. So which was he doing, leaving or approaching? Matthew talks about two blind men. Mark and Luke only mention one. So people sort of say, well, yeah, the Bible's a lot of nonsense then, isn't it? They all disagree. But when you think about it, they don't really disagree. I I can talk to two people at lunch, but only mention one. It doesn't mean to say I haven't talked to two. Do you see what I'm saying? I can talk to you and your wife, but I can say to my wife, oh, I, I spoke to, um, to Carl's wife. doesn't mean to say I, I didn't speak to him. It's just a way of reporting it, just a way of when you tell the story. So that doesn't make it inaccurate. When it comes to approaching um, and leaving Jericho... It's possible that they cried out when Jesus was approaching Jericho, followed him through Jericho and cried out when he left. That's possible, isn't it? But I think probably the real answer is that there were two Jerichos. There's an old town and a new town. There's an old Jericho and a new Jericho. So it's actually possible to leave a Jericho while coming into a Jericho. I was born in Windsor in Berkshire and there's an old Windsor and a Windsor and as you leave old Windsor you come into Windsor so it's not hard when people criticize the Bible it's usually silly things like that but one of the reasons I'm telling you that there are different um, uh, uh, ways of telling this story is uh, Matthew talks about two men Mark talks about one man and he names him and that's what I want to come to because the name in Mark is blind Bartimaeus. You know the name? Bartimaeus. But do you know what Bartimaeus means? Bar means son. Timaeus means filth. This is son of filth. (laughs) He's a smelly one, isn't he? Son of filth. So in Matthew, you have son of filth and mate of son of filth. (laughs) And they're sitting by the roadside begging. Blind men. Son of filth, mate of son of filth, both blind, sitting by the roadside begging. Normally, those men would not be noticed, other than perhaps the smell. Normally, the crowd would just walk past them. Because they're nobodies. They're filth, son of filth, and mate of son of filth. That's all they are. They're not important whatsoever. 
You don't get a crowd coming out saying, hey, do you fancy coming and have a look at Son of Filth and Mate of Son of Filth? Yeah, that would be a good idea. Let's go down for a Sunday afternoon and crowd around Son of Filth and Mate of Son of Filth. Normally, you go over the other side of the road when you see these people because you're too stingy to put any money in the bucket, aren't you? And you don't want to see eye contact. So you don't really know that they're there, other than that perhaps the crowd are moving around. But Matthew's saying, I want you to look at these nobodies, because you're going to learn something from these nobodies. Do you see that? Now, if you didn't see them, you heard them. Look at verse 30. Two blind men son of filth, mate of son of filth, were sitting by the roadside and when they heard Jesus was going by, they shouted. Yeah. Now that word shouted means screaming with anguish. It's the word that's used of a woman in labour. It's the word that's used of a croaking, screeching uh, raven. So you may not have seen them, you may have smelt them, but you certainly heard them. And these are the ones that we're meant to be looking at and perceiving and and learning from. You're going to get an eye test from them, these blind ones. They shouted out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they didn't listen to the crowd. They shouted even louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. These are desperate men screaming out. They want to be heard. And look at what they're screaming. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. They are openly confessing that only Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised son of David. And he is the only one that can bring the mercy of God into their lives. It's a phenomenal confession. He's capable of bringing the mercy of God. It's a staggering statement. He is the messianic king, God's king, God's promised one. He is almighty. He can mediate the blessing and mercy of God into our lives. That's what they believe. It's amazing. They seem to understand, these two men, who Jesus is better than anybody else. So look at them. Perceive them. Because the opportunity is passing by. Jesus is passing through. He's not going to hang around. And so they shout out. And the crowd, as we're told in verse 31, the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. We wish you were dumb as well as blind. Shut up. You can't open your eyes and you shouldn't open your mouth. (laughs) But Jesus shuts the crowd up by calling them to him. Verse 32, it's extraordinary. Jesus stopped and called them. The son of David, the Lord summons them for a one-on-one, a personal encounter. He's not distant. He's not going to do it from far away. Come here. Come to me through the crowd. I mean, can you get that scene? 
flipping out, son of filth. You know? So there's the scene. You've got the scene. The second thing I want you to see is that question. Back to that question. (laughs) Verse 32. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. There's the question. What do you want me to do for you? Now, when you read that, don't you think, well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, what, what are you talking about? What, why, what, is, he, is he a little slow-minded, Jesus, here? Isn't it obvious? But then when you think about it a little bit deeper, you think, no. I mean, certainly he's not slow-minded. But actually, it's a great question, because what do they want? Do they want relief for the day? Do they want Jesus, they're beggars, do they want Jesus to put some money in? I mean, you can guarantee if Jesus put some money in their hat, everybody else would say, oh, I was going to, you know, and flick stuff in. So they'd do well out of this crowd, wouldn't they? You know. So, so, so what do they want? Do, do they just want relief for the day, a little bit more money in their hat? What do you want? A handful of money? What do you actually want? A handful of money... Do you basically want to carry on the same in your life and how you perceive life? Do you want to carry on the same with a bit more money, a bit more security, a little bit more comfort in this life? Do you want that or do you want me, the you changer, to change you? What do you want? Change or change? Spare change or real change? Do you want me to be just a little bit more than the average man that you meet when you call out, put money in my box? Or do you really want God's mercy? What do you want? See, it's a a better question than you think, isn't it, at first? All their lives, they've been sitting in the same places, All their lives, they've been begging. They just know how to do it. And when you think about it, blindness is a pretty good handicap to have because it's pretty obvious that, you know, it's quite a big one, isn't it? It's not like a stomach pain or something like that. How do you prove that one? So blindness is up there. It's sort of, you know, up there in the the sort of list, top list of if you're going to have a handicap, it's a good one to to have because it's obvious. And you make, you'll make quite a good living out of it, I guess. Or they're used to doing that. To receive your sight, everything would change. You've, you've suddenly got to go and get a job. You can't beg anymore. My goodness, that's a pain in the neck, isn't it? To receive your sight, you're going to see your wife for the first time. That may be a shock. Because <laughs> no one else would marry you. Now you realise why she did. You know, to receive your sight, you've got to get a trade. Everything is different. Everything is different. You've got to learn to start again if you're going to receive your sight. So what do you want? Do you want that? Do you want me to so change you that you're going to, learn to have to learn to walk? You're going to have to learn to look. You're going to have to learn to perceive the world and see the world in an utterly, completely different way. What do you want? So what was their answer? 
please give me some money. I mean, that would have met their need and supplied a lot, but they realize they've got a bigger need and actually a bigger want, however scary it is. Because Jesus is scary, isn't he? This is a scary change. They realize they want to receive their sight. So verse 33, Lord, they asked, we want our sight. We want to change. We want to embrace an entire new life. We want our sight. It's interesting because Mark tells us in his gospel that, um, that Bartimaeus, when he was called, left his cloak and ran to Jesus. Well, a cloak's worth a lot of money. So he's not after money. He's not interested in that. He wants his sight. Lord, they asked, we want our sight. You wouldn't ask anybody else for that because only the son of David, the Lord, can do that. So there's the question. Thirdly, here's the compassion. The compassion is he touched their eyes. Look at verse 34. Jesus had compassion on them. That's that heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching word again. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. So, I mean, this is... We've got to get this. This is the ruler of the universe... And he's so, he's more than sympathetic towards these blokes. Son of filth. These are nobodies. And this is the Lord of the universe, David. Son. God's Messiah. And his heart is compassionate to son of filth and mate of son of filth. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Isn't that phenomenal to have the ruler of the universe whose heart's like that? It's extraordinarily different than, than, than any other person that has power. See, anyone, any sort of person that has power would have been chauffeur-driven through, <laughs> through um, uh, Jericho anyway, wouldn't they? Would get those people out of the way. Certainly, son of filth we don't want around. Jesus calls them. He has compassion on them. But he has God compassion on them. Not just human compassion. See, the compassion of the world, and it's, I'm not saying this is wrong, the compassion of the world would be to throw some money in the bucket. Wouldn't it? And in one sense, that's all the world can really do. It can ease the poverty, which is a good thing, so, so we should do it. But the compassion of the world can't change you. Doesn't change the person. So this is God's compassion. God's compassion is to change the person, not just to put money in the bucket. So he sees and touches their eyes and has compassion. Verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. It's a simple, beautiful and profound event. And Matthew says, look and learn. Jesus is passing through. Jesus is passing through. And actually, in some ways, he's passing through us today. 
by his word. He's walking up and down the lines and he's passing through. Will you call out to him? Because that's what I'm asking you to do through his word. Don't let him pass. Not, not again. Is he, is, he, is he passing through and speaking to you? Don't let him pass. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you hear his call? Again, Mark's version of son of filth is that when he was called... I love, the, I love reading the crowds, actually, in, in the Gospels, because they're, they're like, if you've ever seen the crowds in The Simpsons, if you ever watch The Simpsons, they're always so fickle, they change for whoever who's saying what. You know, if, if someone says, he's a horror, condemn him, they're all shouting out, condemn him, condemn him, and they say, no, he's wonderful, love him, oh, love him, love him, love him. And you've got this sort of crowd, so in one moment they're telling him, shut up! Wish you were, you know, dumb as well as blind. And then Jesus calls, and in Mark's version, they say, cheer up, he's calling you. (laughs) It's hilarious. On your feet, he's calling you. Well, you just told me to shut up. (laughs) He's calling you, and he, the son of David, is saying, what do you want me to do for you? I want you to dwell on this, blokes. I want you to dwell on this. Do you want to change? Or do you just want your circumstances changed around you? Do you really want to change? Because change is going to be hard. Because change will involve a new journey into uncharted territory. It's committing you to a, a sort of... To, to new stuff, new doors being opened. And it's also committing you to the unfamiliar, and maybe even disappointments. You know, we say things like, it's better the devil you know than the devil you don't. (laughs) Now, you can't really use that with Jesus, but you know, it's sort of like that, isn't it? I'm used to being blind. That's my way of life. I am so used to this sin. I am so used to this standard of life. I am so used to this. I actually think I'd rather not see, because... I just really wanted a few pennies in my hat. Will you ask God for sight so that you can see? Will you ask God for a discerning heart so you can do that which is right, which may be really painful because wrong is so much more comfortable? Listen to Paul's prayer. Paul praying for the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians chapter 1. Just listen. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you were called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He's praying that this church will have their eyes open to who God is. He's praying that their hearts would be 
opened and enlightened and the revelation of Jesus would come into their heart to make them sighted people so that they can see how to live the new life in Jesus. He's saying, I don't want you in the darkness. I don't want you blind so you stumble along in your familiar stumbling ways. I want the light of Christ to break into your heart so that you learn to walk. C.S. Lewis, great sentence, you've probably heard it. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, I see the sun, but because by it I see everything else. I love that line. I know the sun has risen because I can see it, but not only because I can see the sun, but because because of the sun I see everything else. When your eyes are open through his holy word, you begin to see the path of right and wrong. What do you want? Do you want that sight? See, who did the blind man see first of all? Jesus. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, make his light shine in your hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The light of the knowledge of God displayed in the face of Christ. They saw Christ. And when you see the light of Christ, then you see everything else. When the sun rises in your eyes, then you see everything else. The right route, the wrong route, the path to walk. But it means a changed life. There may well be some crowds in your life crowding you, telling you to shut up when you ask Jesus to be your light. Old habits saying shut up. Don't shout out to Jesus. Who do you think you are, son of filth? Who do you think you are coming to the risen saviour, the light of the world in your dirty, stinky clothes? Who do you think you are? And there are these crowds and these old habits and these old ways of thinking that keep us from calling out to God to change us. Don't you know that? I guess these blind blokes woke up in the morning and forgot to put the light on to go and make the tea. Because that's what they did every day. And, and, and suddenly, they're back to fumbling around again in the dark. And they're not remembering that actually they're children of the living God, that they have the light of God's revelation through his word in their eyes. And therefore, you can walk this way. You, you, you don't have to fumble around anymore. I guess they went back to old habits. And we're doing that constantly. We forget Jesus is the light of the world. We forget that Jesus is the one that changes us. And we go back to old habits and we become the beggar. And we become people that are dominated by the past and perhaps how we were treated by people. And those things dominate us. They're, they're embedded and they're old habits that are rooted in us. And we have to keep reminding ourselves that Christ has made us see and we can walk through those old habits. We can take off the clothes, the old clothes, and put on the new clothes. We're not son of filth. We're son of Christ. 
I have to keep reminding myself. I don't have to go back to that sin. I can say no to sin. That isn't the thing that will, will bring blessing into my life. However comfortable it feels, but I now got to walk the road of Christ, however uncomfortable that feels. Paul says in 2 Corinthians again, chapter 10, verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There's a battle going on now. When I was blind, there was no battle, but now there is a battle. You enter the Christian life and it becomes much harder. <laughs> when do you hear evangelists saying that? Come to Christ and it'll be a lovely life. No, 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 no. Come to Christ and it's blinking hard. Because I suddenly understand that things are wrong and things are right and those old habits I've got to put aside. I've got to say no to those sins and yes to this. Crowds are always crowding and telling us to shut up. So what do you want? Do you want to be keeping on being transformed by the renewing of your mind? That sounds hard work to me, renewing my mind. I keep thinking. Best just to not think. Just respond to the old way. What do you want? What do you want now, Christ, to do for you? Do you want him to start changing you? Or do you just want him to change your circumstances and a few pennies in the pot? What do you really ask him for? Why don't we just dwell on that question for a bit? Think about it. What do I want Christ to do? And where do I want him to shed light by his word and begin to change me? What help do I want from Christ to walk his way? Let's give that a couple of minutes. Perhaps write it down. Go through your life. What do I want? And then Mark will come and finish up. Just a couple of minutes.